Turning your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. A couple of people have asked me, that doesn't sound like Ephesians, and you're right. We're not yet finished in the book of Ephesians. Probably have another two or three years to get through uh, the last verses. I'm joking. Um, but we'll get back to Ephesians. We were dealing with the household code and families, but the Bible has a lot to say about singleness as well, or about singles, I should say. And we find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Seeing that we have so many uh, singles in the congregation, a number of years ago when we had Young Adults Fellowship and had a meeting in my home, uh, we had 60 singles there. I don't know that we have that many now, but we have a lot. And uh, the church in New York City is largely composed of singles, as is the population in North America, increasingly single for a variety of reasons, topic for another time. However, we do want to uh, shed the light of God's word uh, for those that are not uh, yet members of families, uh, as uh, are addressed in Ephesians chapter uh, 5 and 6. So we're looking uh, at this uh, today and probably for the remainder of the month of May, looking at singleness and dating. All right, so um, one verse, and keep your Bibles open because we'll be looking at other verses as well. All right, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7. The Apostle Paul speaking under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I wish that all were as I myself am. Uh, Paul was most likely single. Some discussion as to whether or not he had been married or not, that's not relevant as he writes this. He's single, all right? He says, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Four points to the sermon uh, this morning. First of all, the classic view on the gift of singleness. Secondly, the correct view on the gift of singleness. Thirdly, the consequences of both. And fourthly, complications encountered in singleness. So, classic, correct, consequences, and complications. Singleness is the gift that most people hope they don't have. I was uh, converted at 29, married at 35, so I was single for six years of my initial Christian life. And uh, I certainly uh, wished or hoped that I didn't have the gift of singleness. It's kind of like a Christmas gift, right? You get a lovely sweater from Aunt Tilly, and it's like, oh, that's nice, but I'd really rather have this. You'd like to hand it in and get a different gift than the one that was given you, right? Well, what is the gift of singleness? Well, it's the whole idea of the gift of singleness is based on what we read in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul states that he's single, and then he says, but I, um, uh, each has his own gift. He's single, talks about gift gift of singleness. There you go, all right? Well, the word in verse 7 is charisma, all right? Um, and I want you to note, um, it's not the gift of singleness or the gift of celibacy, all right? Charisma is not the gift of singleness or the gift of celibacy. Such a phrase is unbiblical, all right? I know many of you have probably heard, if you haven't heard this, you've heard about it, all right? Simply that such phrase is unbiblical. 
Uh, Paul in this chapter does refer to unmarried people. The word in Greek is agamos, all right? Think of uh, bigamy, right? Is two wives, by gamos, two wives, two marrieds, all right? Agamos is not married, okay? So he does address the unmarried here. Look at verse 8. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single. Or verse 32. Verse 32, we read, uh, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. Um, And verse 34, his interests are divided. The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord. That is agamos, all right, unmarried, all right? But never are the two words connected together. Never do you have charisma agamu. Never. Gift, single, unmarried. The gift of being unmarried. All right? And confusion regarding this arises uh, from using or combining 1 Corinthians 12, which chapter talks about spiritual gifts, and then using that idea or transposing it back into 1 Corinthians 7. So to understand this, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul there is dealing with, there are a bunch of controversies in this Meshuggah church, right? A bunch of Meshuggah cups at Corinth. Boy, were they a mess, right? And tons of things that were wrong in their worship. And one of which was the whole issue of spiritual gifts, So this is addressed in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, I do do not want you to be uninformed. right? And then jump down to verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now I want you to notice here what the text says. God the Holy Spirit empowers his people with certain gifts for ministry, all right? So in talking about spiritual gifts, they're spiritual because it is the Holy Spirit who bestows or endows every Christian, by the way, with a gift, all right? And notice specifically that they are gifts for a specific purpose. They're gifts for ministry. That is, they are functional gifts, all right? They're to be used for ministry, all right? Uh, uh, Verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, just an aside here, all right? Every Christian is given, every Christian is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Every Christian indwelt by the Holy Spirit has spiritual gifts, okay? And those spiritual gifts are for the common good. That is, they are for everybody else in the church. All right? Now, you may disagree with me, but I think I have the gift of preaching and teaching. All right? If you disagree, you can leave now. But but if I were to take that spiritual gift, right, and go in a closet and just preach on 1 Corinthians 7, it wouldn't do anybody any good, right? It may boast my ego, but no. My gift is for all of you. And whatever gift God has given to you is for everybody else in this congregation. This is why it's so important that everybody use their spiritual gifts. Because if you're not, you're robbing all the other Christians in the church. Spiritual gifts are given by the Holy Spirit to be functional, to be useful 
for ministry in the church for everybody else. That's what Paul's saying in verse 7 here. All right? Okay. Got it? You with me so far? All right. That's the purpose of spiritual gifts. They are for spiritual service or ministry in the church. Look at verses 8 and 9. For the one, uh, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another the faith, uh, faith by the same Spirit, to other, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, prophecy, ability to distinguish. These are all gifts that do something. They function. They serve. They minister within the context of the local church. All right? So, when Paul's talking about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, it's very specific, it's very clearly defined. I hope I made that clear. All right? Okay? Spiritual gifts are from the Holy Spirit for service in the church. Spiritual gifts, um, in chapter 7, back to 7, all right, the language there is entirely absent. Entirely absent. Okay? There is no Holy Spirit in verse 7 or in the rest of the chapter, all right? There is no spiritual gift being spoken of. Therefore, singleness or unmarried, whether never married, widowed, divorced, widower, right, whatever, all right? Singleness is not the same as talking about spiritual gifts in chapter 12. Okay? Elsewhere in the Bible, gift is used without any supernatural empowerment. Think, for example, in Romans where Paul says the gift of God is eternal life. Well, that's not a functional ministry gift, is it? Well, it's the kind of the way that Paul is using that here. All right? Singleness is not a functional gift. There is no singling. As there is in 1 Corinthians 12. All right? Singleness is not spiritually discerned, nor is it subjectively felt. There's no uh, need um, uh, to uh, be to see if you were called to be single. This is a question that plagues many Christians. Am I called to be single? Boy, it'd be nice to me, Mary. I have sexual desire, but maybe I'm called to be single. What's God's will for me? And get people, people get all tied up in knots and navel gazing, wondering whether or not they're called to be single. Right? That's what arises from this problem. Okay? <clears throat> So what Paul talks about in verse 7, look at verse 7 again, having this explanation. He says, I wish that all were as I myself am, period, full stop. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind, being single, one of another, being married. Being single is a gift. Being married is a gift. But there is no gift of singleness. There's no singling, as it were. All right? One of one kind, one of another. Singleness and marriage, married, are both gifts. They're both good. And please hear me, they're both equal. One is not more superior than another. 
at various times in the history of the church, this has been mistaken, right? Being single, never married, never having sexual relations was thought to put one on a higher spiritual plane than being married. On the other hand, many people think being married is on a higher spiritual plane than being single, all right? No, both are gifts, all right? Both are good, right? And both are equal. So this leads on to other things, which I'll get to in a moment. The gift of the Spirit, which Paul is referring to here, the gift of singleness is descriptive. It is not restrictive. There is no calling from God to be single. All right? All right. No, I hadn't. Ah, I'll read it now. All right. Let me, let me read to you how the classic view goes. All right. One author defines the gift of singleness or celibacy as, quote, the special ability that God gives to some members of the body of Christ to remain single and enjoy it, to be unmarried and not suffer undue sexual temptations. These five statements, he says, indicate the gift of singleness. I am single and enjoy it. Other people have noted that I feel more indifferent about not being married than most. I am glad I have more time to serve the Lord because I am single. I am single and have little difficulty controlling my sexual desires. I identify with Paul's desire for others to be single as he was. If you have these five statements, all right, then you have the gift of singleness. That classic position is woefully wrong. All right? It's woefully wrong. I hope I've been able to demonstrate that to you. All right. What are the consequences of this? Looked at the classic position. Looked at the correct position. What are the consequences? Well, please, where this kind of teaching is found, people are engaged in endless navel-gazing. Is God's, what is God's will for me? This is similar to people being caught up with that question as well. Is it God's will for me to be single? All right. <clears throat> what is God's will for me? All right. You get, I, I can't tell you how many people I've had to deal with as a pastor over the course of 40 years in ministry that get tied up in knots about that question. What is God's will for me? You want to know what God's will is for you? There it is. Right here. That's it. It's not a mystery. It's not something that God is playing hide-and-seek with you about. All right? God has revealed his will. All right? Now, there are certain questions. Should I take a job in, uh, you know, Washington, D.C. or in New York? Those are legitimate questions. Those are things where, where wisdom matters. Right? In a multitude of counselors, their wisdom is found. Their safety is found. So you seek out people that are known for giving godly counsel. And you ask, here are the pluses, here are the minuses, what do you think? And you ask a number of people, you pray, you make a decision. Whatever decision you make is God's will, right? You don't move to D.C. based on good counsel that you were given and prayer, which you think was answered, and get to D.C., and then, you know, they decide they're going to demote you and say, well, I guess it wasn't God's will. No, it was God's will. And it's God's will that you got demoted, right? No navel-gazing, no 
confusion. God's not playing games with you. Right? So when you understand the correct view of the gift of singleness, there's no navel-gazing. There's no getting lost in the clouds about, is God's will for me to be single forever? Right? Are you single? That's God's will for you. Are you married? That's God's will for you. You know, I've actually heard people, married people say, right, they're having problems in their marriage, starts to go south, and they say, well, I guess it was God's will that I shouldn't be married. <laughs> this is the kind of nonsense you hear from people when you get caught up with this idea, the gift of singleness. All right? No. All right, secondly, all, all, read everyone, has the gift of singleness for some part of your life. Some have the gift of singleness before marriage, right? That's everyone. Some have the gift of singleness after the death of a spouse or after divorce. We have such individuals in our congregation, right? And I'm talking about the gift of singleness in, this, in, the, in the way that I've corrected, all right? Singleness is a gift given to all for some time and to some for all time. There are people that never get married for a variety of reasons, all right? Paul taught, uh, excuse me, Jesus in Matthew 19 talks about those who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. Maybe to be a missionary in a frontier uh, area or, or maybe for some other, other reason, all right? So, Fourthly, complications. Now here's where we get to the nitty-gritty of being single, all right? Sexual self-control, all right? Certainly a complication of being single. The reason most people hope that singleness is the gift that they don't have is because they burn with passion. Now, let's at the outset say sex is a good gift of God, all right? Nothing bad, nothing dirty, nothing wrong about sexual behavior, all right? But God has said, if you really want to enjoy it, you enjoy it within the balance of marriage and between a man and a woman. That's another subject for another time, perhaps, all right? But there's nothing bad, wrong, or dirty about sex, all right? So if you have sexual desire, God gave you that. That's okay, all right? But it needs to be exercised properly in the right way and in the right place, all right? Now, sexual self-control for most singles is a complication or a problem, if you will. But let me just tell you, it's a desire, not a need. This is very important, all right? It's a desire. It's not a need. There are many people in the Bible and in the history of the church that have never had sex. And they led fruitful, productive, God-glorifying lives. It's a need. All right? It's a desire. I'm sorry. It's a desire, not a need. If you don't get that straight, you're either going to compromise or you're going to sin. All right? Sexual self-control is possible. You say, <laughs> you don't know me. Well, maybe I don't know you. But I do know you. 
because I'm a pastor. My job is to know people. You can control your temple. You ever see people, right, they're having a big argument, uh, and then all of a sudden the phone rings, pick up the phone, hello, how are you? What have they done? They control their temper. You can control your tongue. You can control your greed. You can control your pride. You can control your jealousy, but you can't control your libido. Give me a break. Now, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, granted. But if you can control all those other aspects of your behavior, you can control your libido. It's possible. It's possible. How? Well, without going into depth and detail on this, kind of another thing, but a couple of helps uh, for today. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Just a couple of helps because this is such a big problem amongst singles. Matthew 5.28, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Notice the gender specificity here. Men lust with their eyes. Women generally, generalization, all right, women lust with their ears. Pillow talk, sweet nothings. All right. <clears throat> If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Throw it away, for it's better if you lose one of your members than yet your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Notice the dextral, dextral, is that a word? Specificity, right hand, causes you to sin. It's better to lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. How do you gain sexual self-control? Don't dilly-dally with sin. Don't dilly-dally with lust. Don't dilly-dally with sin. Right? It'll send you to hell. You say, oh, hold on now. This is a Reformed church. I believe in the elect of God. Yeah? I do too. Turn to Romans chapter 8. You want to throw around doctrine of election. Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 verse 13. Now, I, I, I can't exegete, take time to exegete Romans chapter 8, but he's certainly talking to a Christian church, talking to the, uh, the elect people here, right? All right, so verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. You yield to lust, and your habitual pattern of behavior is not to exercise sexual self-control, you're going to die. And Jesus says you're going to go to hell. So throw around all the theology you want. This is plain black and white Bible text. If by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. That's why Jesus in Luke chapter 9 says, If any man would follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. What does it mean to take up your cross? It's not your mother-in-law. It's, it's not a dread, fatal disease. 
Oh, it's the cross that God has given me to bear. No. It means you have to die. You have to die. And you have to die daily. Put to death the old man daily. Put on the new man daily, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The reason so many of you, us, we, singular, plural, collective, whatever, are so weak and shallow spiritually is that we smother over these clear Bible texts. Minimalize, minimize them. Now, no, no, no. Be ruthless in dealing with sin. Ruthless. No dilly-dallying. Now, oftentimes you hear singles conferences or whatever. Well, Jesus never married. Jesus was a single. Yeah. But in Ephesians 5, the Holy Spirit presents him as the perfect husband, not the perfect single. All right, sexual self-control is possible. Next complication, contentment. Contentment. People find being single a cause of discontent. Welcome to the club. Married people are discontent too. I wish I had a million dollars. If only I won the lottery, I'd be happy. If only I was married, I'd be happy. No. Discontent is our lot in life as fallen sinners. Right? I want to go back to Egypt. I don't like the manna. We're all discontent. Contentment, the Apostle Paul says, is something that's learned. Isn't that interesting? Paul says, I have learned to be content in all circumstances, whether I'm rich or whether I'm poor. Learn to be content. Now, truth be told, for singles, what's the big problem with contentment? I've heard this from so many singles. I just feel like I'm on hold until I get married and really start to live life. Well, you see, you've already esteemed marriage above being single, right? You're not on hold. Every sinner deals with lack of contentment, and you can't spend your life waiting for something that may never happen. More on that in a future sermon, all right? But you can't spend your life waiting for something that may never happen. God has not forgotten you, all right? So learn to be content. Don't say, when I get married, everything will be fine. Or, if only I were married, things would be fine. Another complication Loneliness. Now, God says in Genesis chapter 2, it's not good for man to be alone. 
Certainly, marriage is the norm. Being single is the abnorm, all right? It's not good for man to be alone. And loneliness is a reality of life in a fallen world, all right? It's something that I experienced profoundly after my conversion and in the six years prior to getting married to my lovely wife. We're social beings. We're created in the image and likeness of God who is a social trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Even God in his own being is not alone, so to speak, properly understood, all right? It's not good for man to be alone. We were created by God to know God, to love God, and to be loved by God in a relationship. And so wanting a relationship with another human being is perfectly normal. And lacking it, one experiences loneliness because it's not good, right? But marriage and family are not the only solution. They're not. They're not the only solution. Look at Psalm 68 and verse 6. Psalm 68 and verse 6. Psalm 68, verse 6, God settles the solitary in a home. In the NIV, which I actually prefer, God sets the lonely in families. This is very important for the ministry of this congregation. All right? Because we have a lot of singles. If you just think of yourself as I'm on hold, I'm just waiting for the right guy or the right girl to come along. More on that in another sermon. All right? then you're depriving yourself of what God says. God sets the lonely in families. Why is that important for the ministry of this congregation? Well, families should adopt singles. It doesn't mean you have to adopt one particular person, but you should, at least I remember what it was like to be single. Have some sympathy, right, for people that are single. Invite them over on a Sunday. Invite them over on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or whatever. Come on over. Spend some time. That will benefit them in more ways than you know. They'll have an opportunity to be exposed to a husband and a wife, to a family, to play with kids, to get to see what it's like to actually be a family. I had no idea. I was the only child of a single mother. I had no idea what it was like to be a family. I had to learn everything, right? I learned it by being with families. So families, be sympathetic to singles. Invite them over. Make them part of your family. doesn't have to be the same person every time. But over the course of our ministry in Michigan and in New York, we, we, we've had singles many times adopted into our home. Conversely, singles realize families could really be blessed by you helping them. We've all reveled and delighted in how many children have been born here in the congregation recently. Do you think new moms with newborn babies couldn't use some help? 
Maybe they'd like someone to come over and just do the dishes so they don't have to do it. Or clean the house. Or go shopping for them. Or maybe just another adult to talk to while their spouse is away for 8, 10, or 12 hours. What a blessing. You see, married or single, all right, have the same goals. That is to serve God's covenant, to serve his people, to serve his church, to serve his kingdom. Very important, all right? So contentment and loneliness are dealt with by getting out of yourself and realizing that there's a much bigger picture that you are a part of as a Christian. You're a part of the family of God. You're a part of the church. You're a part of God's kingdom. And that's what you're called to serve, not sit around twiddling your thumbs saying, if only I, if, if, when I, and, and if I could, and uh, do you hear the recurring pronoun there? I, 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 I. You see, along with the complications of singleness come the sins of singleness. And I'm not talking about sexual lust. I'm talking about self-centeredness. This is what parents teach our children from day one. It's not all about you. The world does not revolve around you. I was going to wait, but cut to, cut to it now. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians five, verse fifteen, <clears throat> talking about uh, Jesus Christ, ministry of reconciliation. Here he says, "And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised." You say, "What does this all this have to do with the gospel?" Where's the gospel in all this talk? Here's the gospel. Christ died for you if you're a Christian. Jesus Christ shed his blood for you. He offered his body to go to undergo the horrors of hell for you. Is anything too much for him to ask of you in return? And he didn't die for you so that you can continue to live for yourself. He died for you. To incorporate you into the church and to use you in his kingdom for the glory of God and the well-being of yourself. Jesus put it this way. If you lose yourself for my sake, you'll find it. You'll find yourself. How many people suffer, and I don't want to belittle this, Contentment and loneliness simply because they're focused on themselves. It's not all about you. The covenant. You want to call it point five, it's a C. Covenant. 
Who are you in the covenant community? Who are you? Your identity is to be found in Jesus Christ, not in marital status. You are to serve the Lord, his church, and his kingdom, not yourself. Jesus Christ and Paul, singles, admittedly, demonstrate the usefulness, the utility of singleness in carrying out God's purposes. And whether you're married or whether you're single, you're, who are you in the covenant community? And you're to serve whether married or single. That is, you have the same goal. You just have different priorities given on the state that you are in life. All right? Get the big picture of furthering God's covenant dealings. Doesn't mean you have to be at church 24-7. All work is kingdom work, right? All work is kingdom work. Changing diapers, washing dishes is kingdom work. Hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. But whatever occupation, white collar, blue collar, student, academic, whatever it is, that's all kingdom work. You're all serving Jesus Christ. And that self-consciousness will send you forward. So whether married or single, whether never married or now unmarried, whether divorced, whether uh, deceased uh, spouse, whatever state you find yourself in, it's to serve the Lord. All right? So more on this. We're going to be looking at this, this and dating throughout the month of May to assist singles. All right? Marrieds have had a lot of teaching on uh, husbands, wives, parents, children, right? So we're going to spend some time here for the majority, well, maybe not the majority, but a large segment of our congregation and looking at what the Bible has to say about this. But that's kind of a good introduction, all right? Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise uh, that you are our God and we are your people. We thank you that you have loved us. We, thankful, we are thankful that you have saved us. We are thankful that you have called us into your church and kingdom. We are thankful that we are not our own, but belong, body and soul and life and in death, to our faithful Jesus, Savior Jesus Christ, who has fully paid for all our sins and set us free from the tyranny of the devil. Father, work in us that which is pleasing to you, Work in us in whatever state we find ourselves, young, old, single, never married, unmarried. That our lives and all that we do might be worthy of the high and holy calling of the gospel. And we ask it for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.